Thank you, Grace. When we are sick or injured and we go to a doctor, doctors like to prescribe things for us so that eventually we will be, we'll get better, we'll be healed. Sometimes a doctor, when we go to them, they'll just give you some advice. Things like drink lots of water, get plenty of rest, take some Tylenol for the pain, and make sure you don't sneeze on anyone in the meantime. <laughs> if you have an injury, perhaps a doctor will uh, send you for x-rays. Find out what exactly is wrong, or maybe they'll put you in a brace or a cast, or even send you off to surgery for something. Often, a doctor, if you just have a disease of some kind, they'll give you a prescription, a medicine, that you have to go and you pick up at a pharmacy afterwards. I want you to think about something. Have you ever thought how important it is that the doctors prescribe the right thing? Imagine if you walked into a doctor's office with a broken arm, and the doctor decided the best course of action was to put you in an entire body cast. Or maybe that the best way to heal you is amputation. Maybe you go to the doctor complaining about an earache. And what happens if the doctor prescribes you cough medicine and stool softener? <laughs> if anything like this happened, you would say those doctors are crazy. You wouldn't take their advice because they obviously know next to nothing about health and medicine, at least compared to what you know. And my point is just to say, be very thankful for your doctors who know what they're talking about and know what they're doing. And it's a good thing that they know what to prescribe for people, at least most of the time. Well, I, I tell you that this morning because as we come to the Bible, when we come to the, this book of James, James in this passage acts a lot like a good doctor would. That who, as this doctor is seeing patients and he's hearing ailments of people and then he prescribes a treatment. And so it's like, you have a broken arm? Okay, let's get you in a cast right away. You have strep throat? Here, let me write you a prescription for that so you can get better. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we're, that's page 1013 in your pew Bibles, if you don't have a Bible of your own. We'll be starting in James 5 verse 13 today. We're really in the home stretch now. And we'll actually be finishing up the book of James next week. And, uh, but this is where James really begins to wrap up his letter, begins to give some concluding thoughts and what, what he wants people to take away as he concludes. And just like most of the book, as we've seen, this is an extremely applicable passage to our lives. I believe every person here should be able to take something away from this passage today, whether it's prescriptive for you or it's preparatory, whether it's warning or an encouraging, I think you'll find that this is a very applicable passage. As we begin, though, before I read this, I want to invite you to pray with me, to ask the Holy Spirit that he would come and he would be working on each of our hearts this morning. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word today, that we would see you for who you are, and we would see us for who we are. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working on our hearts, that, it would, that he would be drawing us closer to you, showing us your love, be convicting us of sin, and showing us where we can grow to be more like your Son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Before I read this passage, I'm going to warn you. Some things in these verses can be pretty confusing. And many God-honoring people over the years have disagreed over how to either understand this passage or how to apply it. I'm going to give you my best interpretation of these verses, and I'll attempt to explain some of these confusing things. But here's the thing. I don't want you to get lost in the details or confused by these controversies. I want you to really focus on what James's main point is in these verses, what he really wants to get across. And the main point, as many of the passages we've seen in this book, actually has to do with our speech again. But this passage is different than the rest of the ones we've seen, because in this passage, James doesn't try to tear something down that we're doing wrong, like slander or grumbling or presumption or swearing oaths. No, this passage, James finally talks about some positive ways that we can use our tongues for good. And he focuses on probably the absolute best ways that we can use our speech. So I'm going to read this passage. And then we'll divide it up in points to talk about it, okay? Verse 13 in James chapter 5 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit." We'll stop there for this morning. Now, as we read through these, the obvious focus of these verses is prayer. It's mentioned in every single verse. And like I said earlier, it's like James is prescribing a medicine or a cure for different situations. And really what we see in this is that prayer is applicable and powerful in all situations. It's a cure-all. The... The first situation that James talks about has been a very familiar one to us lately, and that is this, that our prayers can be powerful to strengthen us in the midst of suffering. So when we go through hard times, our prayers can be powerful to strengthen us. That's what we saw right off the bat in verse 13. He said, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him or let her pray. Let us pray. So Dr. James's first point, first patient that comes in has a bad case of suffering. And this would have been very likely helpful for most of James's readers. As we've seen extensively in recent weeks, James wrote this letter to Christians from his church that have been scattered around the world from persecution. And so these people thought they were escaping suffering by fleeing Jerusalem, but instead they, li- they found life very difficult wherever they went, to build new lives. So many of them were poor. Many of them were likely separated from their families. And those who had actually found jobs were being defrauded by their employers. Just a, a lot of suffering in these people's lives. 
And we saw this encouragement two weeks ago for these people. In verse 7, James told these, these people, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then James asks, as we begin today, is anyone among you suffering? He then gives a suggestion of what to do if they are. And now this wasn't a solution to their problems or an outright cure for suffering, but it was something that would help them along the way. And that is, let him pray. Let him pray. If you are going through suffering in your life, what you need to do is pray. If you don't know what prayer is, the most simple definition is talking to God. So we can talk to God in many different ways, from requests that we make and petitions and confession, praising, lamenting, giving him thanksgiving for what he's given to us. Now, as we read this, if anyone's suffering, let him pray. It might sound like some kind of pat answer or overly simplistic advice. But that's only because we underestimate the power of prayer. We underestimate what it can do in our lives. We see prayer in our minds. I believe this is true, that we see it as a weak form of spirituality for old ladies and young children. And no offense to all the older women or younger children here, okay? We don't see the need for prayer. And we don't see the power involved in it. James's message to us today is this. Prayer can be powerful. If you're suffering, what you need most in the world is prayer. You need it more than money or security or safety. You need it more than health or being pain-free. You need it more than family or friends. You need it more than comfort. We desperately need prayer. I might wonder, how does praying actually help us in our suffering? How does it help? Well, the first thing it does is it writes our perspective. It takes our eyes off of our earthly problems and puts them on God and His power. It makes us realize how small our suffering is compared to who our God is. And it makes us see how temporary they are in light of eternity. It keeps us thankful. The Holy Spirit comforts us in prayer. He is called our comforter in Scripture. And if we are sad, sorrowful, or grieving, the Lord brings us peace through prayer. Prayer helps us trust God with our finances, with our health, with our relationships, with our futures. If we're being mocked or reviled for our faith, prayer gives us courage, fortitude. It helps us establish our hearts like James told us to do earlier. If we are lonely, prayer brings us to the feet of God who loves us dearly. And gives us fellowship that satisfies more than any human love or relationship ever could. To sum that up, prayer supernaturally strengthens us to face our current trials. 
It strengthens us. So, is anyone among us suffering? You feel like you're suffering today from anything, whether loneliness, depression, disappointment, failures, sorrow. You should pray. You wake up in the middle of the night troubled by something? Pray. You're struggling financially to make ends meet? Pray. Someone says something very hurtful to you. Pray. Pray long. Pray hard. Pray diligently. Make it a top priority in your life. Set aside time to do this. Put it in your calendar if you need to. It's totally worth it. See, when we pray, we petition the Lord of all. The God that has all the power in the universe. And yet... This is key. The God who has all the power in the universe and yet the God who cares intimately about you and your life. He's transcendent and yet he's intimate with us. There is a ton of power in prayer. Not because of the prayer itself, but because of who the prayer is to. Well, if you're not in some kind of suffering today, I think it's very possible that you'd find yourself in the situation that James addresses next. Continue with me in verse 13. After he says, let him praise, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing praise. And here's what we learn from the second half of verse 13. Our prayers can be powerful as praise in the midst of happiness. When we're happy or cheerful, we should praise God. Our prayers are powerful as praise. Now, after hearing you sing this morning, I feel like I can skip this whole point. <laughs> but you're going to get it anyway. Sorry about that. So, <laughs> Here's James' instruction if you're in a good mood. Very simple. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, cheerful does not equal some kind of cheesy, always grinning happiness, Okay. So don't think of it that way. This very simply refers to when you feel emotionally happy. Okay, When you are emotionally pleased. If you're in good spirits, you feel happy, cheerful, or excited, then don't hide it. Show how you feel with your voice, with your words. Using your voice to praise God is definitely one of the most noble forms of speech. And you ask, well, how does this fit in the middle of a passage about prayer? Well, if you think about it, praise is a form of prayer. It really is. When we praise God, we are often talking directly to Him. Song we sang this morning, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. Or, bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship your holy name. Singing directly to him. Our songs often include obvious prayers within them. If you think about that, heal my heart and make it clean, God. Open my eyes to the things unseen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. They're prayers. Even when songs are sung about God, instead of directly to him, they're still praising him for who he is and what he does. And God hears the word you sing, just like he hears your prayers. And of course, 
There are other ways to praise God besides just singing. Of course there are. But singing is both one of the easiest and one of the, and the most commanded way in Scripture to praise God. If you come to church and refuse to sing along with other believers, not only are you missing out on an incredible privilege that God has given us to praise Him, in many cases you could be very disobedient to God and His Word. You might say, well, James says to sing if you're happy. I'm not one of the people who are very happy in life, either right now or ever. But while you might not be commanded to sing in this verse, you are in plenty of other places. Besides, singing praise is one of the absolute healthiest things you can do at any time in your life. James could have given this advice to everyone. Happy, sad, and everywhere in between. Sing praise. The word James uses to describe singing praise has the nuance of continual action. This is something we should do repeatedly and frequently and over and over again. The New Living Translation says, those who have reason to be thankful should continually sing praises to the Lord. Don't be embarrassed about your voice. God's not ashamed of it. Don't be embarrassed. Belt out your praise to him. And you don't need to be here in, with the church in order to sing. Go buy some music or turn on the radio that helps lift your heart to the Lord. Play it on your iPod. Play it around the house. Play it in your car and sing along. Our lives should be kind of like a musical where we just burst out into song about how we feel. You have been saved and forgiven and reconciled, given the Holy Spirit, loved and blessed beyond your imagination. No matter what season you're in, you have reason to praise God. There are good reasons that James would tell us to sing frequently. Just like with prayer. Praise reminds us of who our God is. Of how powerful He is. Of how loving He is to us. It keeps us humble. Especially when we're happy. When we're in good spirits, we have a tendency to get more and more prideful. It keeps us focused on how good God has been to us instead of how good we are. It reminds us of our sin and our brokenness often, but it also reminds us of God's love and forgiveness. That's why we sing so often about the gospel, about Jesus. It keeps us focused on what's most important both in the grand scheme of the universe and in the intimate details of our lives. And that is the glory of God. The glory of God is the most important thing in the entire universe. And praise keeps us focused on that. So, are you cheerful today for any of the blessings that God has poured out on you? Tell God. Tell God in, in prayers and praise just how much he means to you. He's worthy of all the feeble words we can muster. Well, we've gotten through one verse. 
But the last few verses in this passage still have a ton to say to us. This is where James especially feels like a doctor as he actually talks about sicknesses. And here's the point that you'll see in these verses. That our prayers can be powerful to heal in the midst of sickness. Our prayers of faith can powerfully heal those who are sick. Read with me in verse 14, and we'll go to verse 16. It says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, over the years, some people have read these verses and concluded that James is not talking about physical sicknesses here, but that he's talking about spiritual weakness instead. That's possible, but extremely unlikely given the language that James uses here. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty Greek for you this morning, but this is almost certainly speaking of physical ailments like sicknesses and diseases. Okay, so be clear on that. So, if it's talking about these things, this may directly apply to some of you today who are dealing with various diseases. And you know if you are. It may apply to someone you love who is going through this type of suffering right now and needs healing. Or it may not apply at all to you right now, but it may someday. And you need to be ready for it. So according to James, what are we supposed to do if we're sick? says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we should ask the elders, the spiritual leaders in the church, to come and pray for us. For us at Calvary, this would be speaking of myself and our deacons. Have you ever done this before? We, as the leadership in this church, are more than willing to come and pray for you. You can take that as a guarantee. We're more than willing to come and pray for you. If you or someone you love is sick, we encourage you to ask us for this. Okay? We can't know everything and all the details that are going on in your life. If you need to be open with us, and if you have a need, ask us. We'd love to be able to help. James says that if the elders pray with faith, their prayer can save that person. In verse 15... It says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now this, the word save here, does not refer to salvation. And that's important. It literally means it will make them well. That's what that word means. So if we pray in faith, it will make them well. Let me ask you. Do you believe that God can still heal people today? I'm sure some of you would say, absolutely, yes. Others of you might be thinking, well, I doubt it. Some of you may think, well, I believe he can, but does he? Does he heal today? I'll tell you what I think. I think that we are way too skeptical and doubtful in Western culture. Especially as Baptists. We Baptists need more faith. And now I'm not talking, let me be clear, I'm not talking about the healings that you see of televangelists or extreme charismatic. I agree that 
some purported healings are either exaggerated or hoaxes. I'm not talking about that. But there are multitudes of Christians around the world today who would tell you that they have personally experienced God's healing power. Gospel for Asia, a missionary ministry that we support as a church, sends us stories all the time of miraculous conversions and healings. And one recent story that I just read this week said that a native missionary went through a town one day sharing about Jesus, and he met a 69-year-old widow who had struggled for years with knee pain for eight long years, and she was too poor to pay for any medical help. But this missionary told her the story of Jesus and how Jesus could heal her, both physically and spiritually. And then he knelt down and prayed for her and with her. And as he left, the widow replied, If what you said is true, then I believe he will surely heal me. Well, the next time the missionary came into town... The widow met him as he came in and began shouting, Jesus healed me! Jesus healed me! And she went on to tell him that the very night the missionary had prayed for her, Jesus had taken away her debilitating knee pain, and that it had not returned ever since then. Completely healed. Now, we in North America hear stories like this, and we get skeptical. Did that really happen? How do you know that's true? But why are we skeptical? Why do we doubt? Our God is way more powerful than this. We're skeptical because we lack faith. We want to believe unconsciously, I believe, but we want to believe in a rational God that can be explained naturally. Our culture has conditioned us to automatically doubt the supernatural. And that's extremely unfortunate. Now, these instructions that James gives does not mean that you should never go to a doctor. That's reading something into this passage that simply is not there. The medical wisdom that doctors have, have is given them by God. And we don't know how God will heal if he chooses to heal us. He could very well use modern medicine or medical practice to do so. James just tells us not to ignore spiritual power if you're looking for physical help. Don't ignore the spiritual. You might wonder, as we read these verses, there's several confusing things in here. What does James mean when he says, for example, to have the elders anoint the sick person with oil? What does he mean by that? This has confused many people over the years, and the answer isn't entirely clear. I believe the best explanation is that anointing with oil is a physical action with symbolic significance. Okay, Similar to, say, being put under water at baptism. It's a physical action of a symbolic significance. Or, say, physically eating bread or wine in the Lord's Supper. Same idea. Physical action, symbolic significance. Whenever people in Scripture were anointed with oil, it symbolized consecration. Okay? A setting apart of someone or something for God's service. And I believe that when James says that the elders should anoint a person 
with oil, it's in order to symbolize that that person is being set aside for God's special attention in prayer. It's like adding emphasis to our prayers for them. Notice also that it says that James says to anoint them in the name of the Lord. This is important. It recognizes that it is God, not the oil or any ritual that heals. It's God that does the healing. This is not a magic formula for healing. Healing, when it comes, is always a gracious gift from God. Here's another question. Read verse 15, and we say, Is this an unconditional promise of healing? It says in verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So is this an unconditional promise? The answer is no. Prayer, and this is why. Prayer is first and foremost dependent on the will of God. That is absolutely essential in all of our prayers, is God's will. It may be God's will to allow you to suffer for a time in order to grow you. It may be God's will in order for you to suffer, in order to bring Him glory in some other way. We have to remember that God is sovereign over our prayers. He knows best, and his will will be done. Beware of people who claim that if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. Watch out for that. Of course it's possible that you need more faith. Of course it is. But you can't assume that. That's not what this passage teaches. It's unbiblical and it ignores God's sovereignty. He knows better. But to some extent, we see here in another passage of Scripture that our prayers are dependent on our faith. To some extent. Verse 15 makes it clear that faith should be an essential ingredient in our prayers. It says the prayer of faith will make the sick person well or will save the one who is sick. Praying without faith is like baking cookies without sugar. Or making a sandwich without bread. Throughout Scripture, God wants us to believe that He can and will answer our prayers, if it is within His sovereign will to do so. As Jesus prayed in the garden, not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. We need to have faith that God will heal us if it is in his will. Now, James, in these verses, seems to draw some kind of connection between sickness and sin. Did you see that? Verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So he seems to say on one hand that a prayer for healing will lead to forgiveness of sins and that confession of sin will lead to physical healing. Doesn't that seem like the opposite of what it should be? Let me say a couple things really quickly here. First of all, There are connections 
between sin and sickness. Okay? Sickness is a result of the fall, when sin first entered the world. And some individual present-day sins can still lead to sickness, either as a natural result or as a consequence or discipline for that sin. In Scripture, we see God sometimes sending diseases or plagues because of sin. Or the New Testament also mentions that some sicknesses are caused by sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, we see that. I'm sure that you can think, if you brainstorm a little bit, of some sins that easily lead to health issues. If you just think about it, sexual promiscuity, gluttony, violence, ignoring Sabbath rest and overworking, addictions, drunkenness, worry or anxiety. These things, many of them naturally lead to sickness. So yes, sin certainly can be one factor in sicknesses. However, we have to be clear, in Scripture, both in the story of Job and what Jesus says, makes it very clear that we cannot make the direct correlation between all sicknesses and sins. We can't do it. In John 9, as Jesus and his disciples were walking along, they saw a blind man on the side of the road. And his disciples asked Jesus, Master, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Many times, God God is doing something through these. But many times, we can get sick by very natural causes. Just by picking up some germs. We we can't say definitively that every sickness is caused by sin. But back to James. James seems to be reinforcing the first part of that. that. The fact that some sins do lead to sickness. And he recognizes that there's a possible connection. So what he's doing is he's encouraging the sick to deal with any potential spiritual causes first. That's what he's doing. Deal with any potential spiritual causes first. This is why the confession of our sins is important in verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This verse tells us a couple things. One, there is power in actually confessing sins to each other. So whether you confess sins to a friend, to an offended party, to your small group, to an accountability partner, this is a good thing to do. Confessing our sins, being open about our failures. Two, praying for healing and forgiveness is not only reserved for the elders. Did you see that? Here, the entire church is told to pray for these things. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're all supposed to do this. Now, as we talk about prayer, as we've done all morning, you might be thinking, prayers are just words. They're just what we say. My words couldn't actually make this kind of difference, could it? They can't have that kind of power. Just words. 
And that's an understandable feeling because really we are pretty powerless humans. But Ketz says, verse 16 gives us the heart of the message in this passage. Verse 16, the second half says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayers from righteous people have great power. The NIV says that our prayers are powerful and effective. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went to watch the nerdy movie of the year, The Avengers. (laughs) Great movie, but like all superhero movies, this movie pitted very powerful bad people against very powerful good people. Right? That's all superhero movies. And like that's what they do. And not to spoil the movie, but all superhero movies, the good guys always seem to end up winning. Right? They always come out on top. Showing once again that good is supposed to be more powerful than evil. That's really the point of many of these movies. Well, prayer is the most powerful force for good in the entire world. Your thought about that? Prayer is more powerful than all the fictional superheroes and super movies and comic books all combined. But seriously, prayer is more powerful than all the governments of the world combined. Prayer is more powerful than the devil and all his minions. Prayer is more powerful than all the trials you may face in your entire lifetime. Prayer is more powerful because it's not tied to human strength or even superhuman strength or even angelic strength. Prayer is tied directly to God's strength. And that's why it's more powerful. And our God has the power to heal, to save, to forgive, to rescue, to give life or bring death, to rule, to work miracles, to move mountains, to split the seas, to cast stars into space. That's our God. James could have given a list of a hundred examples to demonstrate the power of prayer. But he chose just one, and it would have been a very well-known one to his Jewish readers. If you read in verse 17, it says, basically, for example, Elijah was a man with nature like ours, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This refers to the story of Elijah the prophet, as recorded in 1 Kings 17 and 18. You can read that sometime later. It's a great story. But this is when the wicked king Ahab ruled the nation of Israel. And as a punishment for Ahab and his wife Jezebel's extreme idolatry and wickedness, God made it not rain in Israel for three and a half years, creating a devastating drought. In the land. Now, James tells us that this was a result of God acting upon a prayer of Elijah's. So we see that prayer 
have the power to devastate this nation with its weather. At the end of the drought, Elijah prayed that it would rain again. And you can read the story of Elijah praying for rain and then sending his servant to look out over the sea and to watch for rain coming. And the servant keeps coming back and saying, it's not coming, it's not coming. Seven times, Elijah sends him back as he's praying. Keep, go look for it again. Finally, the seventh time, the servant reported that a tiny cloud was forming, the size of a human hand. It's a small cloud. I don't even know how he saw it. <laughs> but Elijah knew that this was the small beginnings of a huge answer to prayer. And as the story goes on, people were barely able to escape the storm that blew in. It says, In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. In a little while, huge storm blew in. And James says here, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three, in, three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James's point is that any righteous person can access that kind of power through prayer. That's his point. Elijah, even though he was a prophet, was a normal human being, just like us, with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently. He didn't have any special superpowers. He wasn't a superhero. He didn't have any magic tricks. But he worshipped a God with unimaginable power. And he had access to that. Remember what verse 16 said, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And Elijah was a prime example of this. Now I think, though, as we read this, if, the, if only the prayer of a righteous person wields great power, are we righteous people? Do we actually have this power? The answer to the first question, are we righteous people, is no. We're not. Not on our own. In fact, on our own, we're the opposite. We've all sinned against God. Instead of being righteous, we've all become wicked. But the amazing fact is that by grace, there is a way that we can be considered righteous. It's amazing. See, God sent his son, Jesus, to her to die the death that we deserve because of our sins. And Jesus, the only perfectly righteous man ever, died on the cross to save us. And the righteous suffering for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Because of his death and his subsequent resurrection, we can be given new lives, and we, through Jesus' blood covering us, can be considered righteous. If we only repent of our sins, turn to him, believe in him, make him the Lord of our life. We can do this today. 
You can be righteous in God's sight today. All because of Jesus. Not because you've done nothing to deserve it. But God's grace can give this to you. Make sure you don't leave today without letting Jesus make you righteous. Letting his blood clean you. We all need it. And I want you to think about the gospel, this good news of Jesus. Think about the gospel in light of the passage we just read, particularly verse 16. For those of us who have been made righteous in God's sight through Jesus' blood, this is anyone who is a believer, not just super-Christians or pastors or elders or old ladies or prayer warriors, okay? Anyone who is a believer that has been made righteous in God's sight, Jesus, through the gospel, has given you great power in prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That is grace. That he would give us, weak and powerless humans, this kind of power. It's not ours. It's his. I'm going to sum this up by giving you one final point for your notes that I find truly amazing. And that's this, that our faith-filled prayers are powerful if Jesus has made you righteous. Our faith-filled prayers are powerful if Jesus has made you righteous. The first three points you saw told us that prayers can be powerful. They can be powerful to strengthen and to praise or to heal. But if you're a true believer of Christ, I want you to take this away. Your prayers, prayed in faith, already are powerful. And we so often either don't realize this, or we forget it. So have faith. Have faith. God has graciously given you this powerful gift of prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Many of you don't know this about me. But I faced some pretty big health issues as a child. The story is really much too long to tell this morning, but I'll give you a snapshot. I was born as a, as a baby with some vertebrae in my neck that were crooked. And as I grew up over the years, these vertebrae began pinching my spinal cord. That doesn't sound very healthy, does it? <laughs> as they pinched my spinal cord, it caused significant neck pain, and it made me lose control. It was starting to make me lose control of some basic motor skills even like walking. Eventually, I would have been paralyzed, if not worse. Exactly, it happened exactly 18 years ago today, June 10th, 1994, as a nine-year-old. I faced the most significant health challenge of my life. And things had deteriorated, deteriorated fast, and the doctors decided to perform emergency surgery. I went under the knife for 15 and a half hours and spent the next three weeks in the hospital recovering. I think there'll be a picture up there of me at the time. During this time, one of the most incredible things was the prayer support my family received. 
It was amazing. Hundreds, if not thousands of people were praying for me. And you know what? God answered those prayers. He did. He could have very well chosen to take my life. He could have chosen to have me be paralyzed or severely handicapped. But God answered prayer and gave me a full recovery. He didn't choose to take me from the trial. He wanted me to go through it. But he granted me the strength to go through the trial with him by my side. He didn't choose to miraculously heal me before doctors had to intervene. But I believe that God worked a miracle through them. In my case, in order to heal me, God chose to use the doctors and the surgeries and nurses and hospitals and neck braces and years of medical processes. But I know and I testify today that God is the one who healed me. I stand before you today as a testimony of God's healing power and the power of prayer. As we read these words, I hope that you take comfort and courage and confidence from James's words. Pray hard, pray long, pray strong, and praise God through it all. Like Elijah prayed for drought and then prayed for rain. Where is rain needed in your life today? Where do you need heaven to touch? Where do you need God's strength to get through a trial? Where do you, what can you be praising God for in the midst of so many blessings? Where do you need healing in your life, physically or spiritually? Have you brought your needs and your praise to God, our healer? Why don't you do so today? Let's pray. Lord, we know we are powerless in and of ourselves. We recognize this fact. And we only have the smallest glimpses of how powerful you actually are. I pray that you would open our eyes to this power, that we would see how powerful you are and how much you love us and how much you want to change our lives. I pray that as we go, we would be encouraged to pray more, to praise you more. So we take it for granted so often. We don't even realize the tool that you've given us. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who helps us pray. We thank you for Jesus who intercedes for us before your throne. And we thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name.